The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. This morning we're going to be looking at the Word of God, specifically Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. There's more. <laughs> I thought there was more. <laughs> and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thanks, Kevin. You can have a seat. You find your way to John chapter 21. If you're not, I think we can sometimes take for granted our familiarity with Scripture. I think it's important when we read something like Psalm 51 and we remember the context. This is King David after he has committed adultery. And to hide his adultery, murdered the Bathsheba's husband, King David. The Messiah would come, the son of David. And yet this the King David commits adultery and murder to cover up his adultery. And throughout that entire story, almost not almost every other person, it seems, 
is head and shoulders more righteous than David at at that moment. And yet he was able to turn and write Psalm 51 and confess his sins and plead only to God's steadfast love. That's the only plea he had. It's a beautiful reminder for us. As we look at John 21 this morning, I know we've, we've read a lot of scripture and uh, we're gonna try to get through this, this sermon faster than I tend to normally do. I do need to, before we get into the text, I, I have to remove a distraction that I feel a number of you may have. And I, wanna, I just want to take the distraction off the board right away. Um, many of you have probably heard uh, sermons from John 21 as Jesus sits down at the fire with Peter and asks Peter three times, do you love me? And, and Peter answers, yes, Lord, I love you. And you've heard that the, the Greek, there's different words that are used for love, agapeo and phileo. And you've heard sermons based on those two words and the importance of those two words. I'm not going to preach that. I don't, I don't believe that is what the, the importance of the text is. And I just want to take that off the table because if you've heard those sermons, you might be wondering why is he not getting to this very important point that I've heard. I'll just say this. This isn't just Jeremy speaking. Of the four commentaries that I'm, that I'm using throughout my study of John, the oldest, Calvin's commentary, doesn't even mention the difference words. And the three others spend multiple pages to show why they don't believe it's the case that we should be focusing on the difference of these two words. A quick thing, if just as an example, I love, gram- I love the program Grammarly. I really, when, especially when I started writing papers uh, for seminary, I relied on Grammarly. I remember a professor saying, wow, Jeremy, I, you've had some good training in writing your papers. Like, no, I haven't. <laughs> it's all Grammarly. So if you don't have Grammarly, get Grammarly. It's worth it. But one of those things is you're typing a paper up, Grammarly will say, hey, you've used this word a lot. You need to, you need to use some variation. John is known for using variation throughout his writings. He uses different words so that he's not repeating the same word over and over again. And there's a number of other reasons. I don't want to spend my sermon um, uh, trying to debate that. There are good, good, solid preachers who preach based on that. I'm not diminishing that. It's just not my personal conviction of that, that that is what we should be focusing on in this text. Uh, if you would like more information, I would love to scan some, some the pages from my commentaries and send it to you. I'd ha- be happy to do that. Okay. With that said, let's dive into our, our text this morning. Let me pray. Then we'll read John 21. Father, We love you.
I pray that you, as we come before, uh, as we continue to come before your word this morning, I pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word, to only preach what you would have me to preach. Help us in this scene to see the beauty of Christ and the beauty of your love and grace and forgiveness for your children. Help us to cling to Christ and have no other boast except Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, like I said, to kind of quickly get through uh, this sermon and not have my typically long sermons, um, since we're all, it's already 11.15. We're going to look at a few things from this passage after I read it. We're going to be looking at Peter's reaction, his restoration, and his repentance. We're not going to be able to get into all the details, but we will get into what uh, I think stands out most in this passage. John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, this John, who's writing, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Again, now look at the three things from this passage. Peter's reaction, his restoration, and his repentance. This is really a scene that Jesus is setting up for Peter. And it's a scene, if, as I was thinking about it, it's like deja vu, where you, you're kind of going about some things and you're like, man, I swear this has happened before. Jesus is setting up this to be a case for Peter that draws his mind to other points, other significant points in his life. It's deja vu for Peter. But what we see throughout this as Peter responds differently. First, we have this wonderful scene of, of Jesus showing up on the shore and calling out to the disciples. They're tired from a long night's work. Not but I, I enjoy fishing, but I am not a fisherman who can sit there all day and not catch a single fish and say, oh, that was wonderful. If I don't get at least one fish, I am disappointed. And professional fishermen who are out fishing all night are going to be disappointed that they caught nothing. And then this stranger calls out, from the shore, cast your net on the right side. Well, they cast their net on the right side and immediately their net is full of fish, a large quantity of fish. And I love the reaction of John who's writing, this blessing is not, he knows this is something miraculous. He knows this is something special and he immediately knows that's not a stranger on the shore. It is the Lord. But this scene has happened before. This scene is recorded in Luke 5. Very similar scene. 
where Jesus first calls these, some of these disciples and he tells them after they've caught nothing, cast your net over here and you'll find fish. And they, there's this huge catch of fish, so much so that the boat begins to sink and the net begins to break. And as that is happening, Peter, who is meeting Jesus for the first time, in that scene, Peter, much like Isaiah that we studied last night, Peter falls at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He realized that he is standing in the presence of someone wonderful. He would eventually make that great confession, you are, you are the Christ, the son of, God, of the living God. But here he at least realizes that he is not in the presence of a mere man. And he says, depart from me. Depart from me. Well, this deja vu here, Jesus creates this scene for Peter again. And now Peter, who has come to saving faith, Peter who has indeed confessed that great confession that should be the confession of all believers. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter who made that confession, he sees this happening and he doesn't say, depart from me, Lord. He quickly gets his clothes on, probably girds them up and dives into the sea and swims his little heart out to get to Jesus. No longer is it depart from me, but it's I need to be with you. I need you above all else. As his comrades are probably struggling to get this net in, there goes Peter off the side of the boat. Like, Peter, what are you doing? But Peter longed to be with Jesus. It was no longer a fear, no longer saying depart from me because you are too wonderful. It's I need you more than anything else. This is an echo of John 6 where Jesus has that hard saying about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and many of the disciples, the larger crowd that had followed him departed from him and abandoned. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you also going to leave me? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Although he had denied Christ the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he had denied Christ but Peter here, who doesn't lack showing zeal throughout the Gospels, I think this is like the, the greatest sign of zeal that we see in the Gospels of Peter, where, zeal, where, where Peter gets his clothing on and casts himself into, into the sea. Again, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. His reaction was quite different than the, the first time that that scene played out. 
He needed to be with Christ. Now we come to Peter's restoration. And Jesus again creates a scene from Peter's past, except this time it's not three years in the past. It's just a, a couple weeks. Jesus invites his disciples to sit down and have some fish and bread that he is preparing over a charcoal fire. And what's important about that is this this phrase for a fire, this charcoal fire is only used here and in one other place in scripture. I mentioned this in my previous sermon. It's that courtyard where Peter denies Christ. Some of the temple guard, the servants of the temple are sitting around a charcoal fire. So Jesus invites the disciples, but this is for Peter to come and sit down at this charcoal fire, a very familiar scene. And this is where the significance of Jesus' questions come in. The significance of him asking Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Is for Peter's restoration. Because around that last charcoal fire in the, in the courtyard of the temple, Peter was asked three times, aren't you one of that man's disciples? Three times. And Peter each time denied Christ. And in fact, the last time he's so fed up, he emphasizes it by saying a curse. No, I am not, I, I don't know that man. And as one of the gospel accounts says, Jesus looked up as he's in, in being accused of crimes he never committed. Jesus looks at Peter as the rooster crows on that third denial and Peter runs off weeping. So now this new charcoal fire, Jesus says, Peter, he begins by asking him, do you love me more than these? His restoration is a public restoration. First, his denials were public. But Peter had also boasted in front of the other disciples as Jesus was talking about what would be happening to him. Peter says in front of all the other disciples to Jesus, Though they all fall away, I will never fall away. You know, can you imagine that? What about the other disciples are thinking, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. I will never deny you, he says. His failure was public. And now Jesus restores Peter publicly. Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples now that you've abandoned me and denied me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus charges him three times with these very similar phrases. Again, it's just changing some of the words, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. 
See, Jesus is restoring Peter because Jesus has a work for Peter to do. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Peter knows, or Jesus knows that Peter is truly repentant and he needs to publicly restore Peter into his office so that he can faithfully serve. And what would happen is as Peter goes on, I mean, imagine without this scene, first of all, imagine Peter trying to move on in ministry and the other disciples still kind of having that sin hanging over his head. Man, but Peter, can we really serve with you? You denied Jesus three times, dude. You cursed it. You said, by no means am I associated with him. Can we really trust you in ministry? Can we go about this? And what about those who would hear Peter's words? Say, man, yeah, Peter, but you did that horrible thing. Can we trust you? But with this scene, Jesus restores Peter. Jesus restores him to a work of ministry, to useful ministry. And and this restoration isn't meant to make Peter confident in himself. Say, okay, Peter, we've, we've swept that under the rug. You're good to go. No, it's this, the restoration is meant for Peter to know, yeah, you failed, but guess what? As great as your sin and misery are, your Savior is by far greater. His confidence needed to be in Christ. And each, each instruction for Peter to move forward, pastor, to be a shepherd of the, of the sheep, shepherd of God's church, shepherd of his flock. It comes on the tail end of these questions, do you love me? And it, it's an important thing for us to remember because in our ministry, it, it truly is the love of Christ that must compel us. Ministry is hard. The Christian life is hard. It's the love of Christ that compels us and it's also important to realize that we can do nothing apart from him. As Jesus said, in, uh, as recorded in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he says, you can do nothing apart from me. And what, what, I, what I kind of like is this large portion of his disciples are professional fishermen. You never see them catch any fish in scripture because the scenes in 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 Scripture are these scenes of them fishing and not having caught anything, and Jesus then saying, cast your nets over here. It's, it's only with Christ that they catch fish, which is interesting when Jesus would say, I'm going to make you fishers of men. They could do nothing apart from him. In fact, there is another time where Peter goes fishing. It's when Peter's asking, asking this question of Jesus, like, should we, do we, are we paying the, the temple tax? Jesus, yeah, we should. Go cast a, a line in and catch a fish. Like, wait, wait, I asked you about taxes. And he catches a fish and there's a coin. That's the right amount to pay the tax in the fish's mouth. Apart from 
Christ, we can do nothing. Now we come to Peter's repentance. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon said of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It is right for us to grieve over our sin. Don't ever think that the gospel says that sin is now something that we can wink at. That sin is something that we can dismiss. We ought to grieve over our sin. The very son of God was nailed to a tree and bled and died for our sins. We must grieve over our sins. And Peter here grieves. 2 Corinthians 7 says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. There is a worldly grief. There's just, you know, not to pick on, pastors should never pick on their boys in a sermon. I was a pastor's kid, but this isn't bad. I don't think, no. You, as a parent, you know, there's sometimes you hear the words, I'm sorry, too quickly. And, I, and my boys are familiar with me here saying, I don't want to hear I'm sorry. <laughs> I, want, I want to see a desire to obey. There is a worldly grief that we're just sad that we've gotten caught of, about over something. We're just sorry for it. We're sorry that it's made us uncomfortable, but there is a godly grief over our sin where we realize as, as David in Psalm 51, he had sinned against a lot of people. And yet he says in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned, O God. Because that's what godly grief does is it makes us realize our sin is an offense before a holy God. So we can... We confess our sins. We grieve over our sins. And the Christian life is a life of repentance. As John will later on write, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. So true freedom in Christ isn't denying the fact of our indwelling sin. It's knowing we have a Savior to run to even in our sin. And as I read, quoted earlier from 1 John 1, he invites, invites us to confess our sins with that full assurance that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and Peter here casts, casts everything at, at Jesus' feet. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He, he throws himself at the omniscience of Christ, that, that Jesus knows all things. What I love is, again, in 1 John, our, our same author would write, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. I've shared it before, just a personal testimony of mine as a young 20-something-year-old struggling with sin and just thinking, Lord, I, I've done this thing over and over again. 
I think the solution to this whole problem is I'm not elect. I'm not one of your children. And then I said in my prayer, but I don't care. Even if I'm not elect, I'm going to love you anyway. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I can't love him if I'm not his. Somebody, I think maybe I, I must be yours. And this is Peter's reaction. Lord, you know my heart better than I do. My heart tells me of all the doubts within and the song we sing, Satan tempts us to despair. We doubt and we worry and we, we have anxieties and we sin and we hate our sin. And we, at the end of the day, like Peter, have to cast our lives before our, our faithful Savior and say, but Lord, you know my heart far better than I do. Lord, you know I love you. It's when we taste God's forgiveness and truly turn away from our sin and begin to put it to death that we can finally enjoy that sweet confidence that's ours. And we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And what John says when, in 1 John when he says that, he says, and this is his commandment, that you believe in his son. Peter's repentance would become far more notorious than his sin. So Peter could move forward in useful gospel ministry with his fellow apostles and to the church at large because his repentance became far more notorious than his sin. That yes, we know about Peter's denials, but yes, we know that Jesus brought him back into the fold. Jesus then jumps to this uh, talking about Peter's death. And as he prepares, as he re restores Peter, as, as he brings him to this place where he could be useful once again for gospel ministry, he kind of gives Peter this foreshadowing. You're going to be so useful to me. That you, Peter, who, are, who throughout the gospel accounts, you're recorded as the rash disciple, the one who's always opening his mouth first, sometimes with wonderful things. And sometimes he's putting his foot right in his mouth. He's the one acting first. He's, as we, we've seen recently, pulling his sword out and hacking off ears. Peter the rash one. Peter the zealous one. Peter would follow Christ to the point where Peter, who's so zealous, would be led by others. Jesus says, clothed. You won't be, you know, not clothing yourself, led to where you do not want to go. And Peter would die a martyr for his Savior because he loved Christ. And he faithfully fed his sheep. 
So as we look at this and we just think of our entire morning, I just want to ask a few questions and let them sit in your mind. Are you struggling with known sin? Maybe you have a, a sin or sins from your past that haunt you, that you wonder, I, I don't know that there's forgiveness for these things. Maybe you're in a long battle with ongoing sin and you're crying out like I did, Lord, why can't I get over these things? Maybe the saddest one of all is you've quit fighting. You've fallen into the deception that you can serve both God and your sin. That you can have a foot in both worlds. Or perhaps you don't know Christ at all. All you know is your sin. Sin is still your master. Well, the solution to all of these problems, the solution to each and every one is the same. It's Christ. Turn from your sin and run to Christ. Be like Peter. We can know, Lord, I know I am even a worse sinner than I ever even imagined. And yet I know that you are a far greater savior than I ever could imagine. And even at one point in the view of your holiness, I could say anything, no, stay away from me. Now it's, I need to be in your presence and be in your presence forevermore. I need your steadfast love to cover me. We cry out to God, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Yes, I know my sin, but I know you are the God who is faithful and just. You are the God of steadfast love, who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Cast me not away from your presence. And then... When it seems like we're at our weakest place, that sin has torn us down. Maybe sin has ruined our reputation. It's at these weak, this weak place, this place of weakness that God says, now I'm ready to use you. Second Timothy, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. In my Bible reading uh, this week, I, I read an old and familiar verse one every time I read it. I love it. Every time I read it. It's just so fantastic. Out of Joel 2, and we'll close with this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. I don't want to show 
rend your heart and not your garments. Come to me. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As we come to the communion table this morning, it is such a beautiful reminder of all the truth that we have just looked at. That we are invited to sit down and feast with our Savior, to feast even upon him spiritually. And he knows that we're not worthy He knows that you're sinful. He knows that you are far more sinful than you even realize. And he still says, come. Come all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Confess your sins. For I am faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We pray for the Lord's blessing upon the table. Father, as we come before the Lord's Supper this morning, I pray that you would bless it to us. Father, even though it is just the simple elements of bread and juice, you have us, Father, those who are yours, feasting upon spiritually your son, showing this beautiful union that we have with him. But you invite us to the table knowing full well that we are sinners, but also knowing full well that you have paid in full the price of our sin through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us now to just rejoice in that truth. Help us to celebrate that truth as we grieve over our sin Father, help our, our worship and excitement of what your son has done for us and forgiving us to even drown out that grief that we can have joy is inexpressible. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your son the very reason we are gathered together, the very reason we can speak of our sin as we do, knowing that it is covered with your son and that your son rose from the dead, that we have new life in him and we will one day sit in the new heavens and new earth and feast in the presence of Christ who is holy, 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 and yet you will not say, depart from me because you are sinful. But you are saying, you are welcome in my presence because I have cleansed you. I have washed you and you are mine. So help us, Father, even even if we're struggling with doubt. Father, if we can say, Lord, I love you, I pray that you would help us to Enjoy these elements in the light of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.